Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, episode 205. Uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about repairing antique floors. Uh, not just repairing them, but if you own a historic house, you have to learn how to uh, subtly use them. Okay, keep the traffic down. So. so the repair of wooden floors is a branch of carpentry, basically unto itself. And working with pre-1850 floors is really a specialized area within this branch. One reason for the breakdown is that floors over 150 years old are built differently than those that came after. Almost without exception, old floors are nailed directly to the supporting floor joists and not to a subfloor that was laid down first, as in a modern home. Also, old floors were built just before there was machinery to make true tongue and groove joints. So most consist of large boards with square edges butted tightly together, or at least the boards were tight when the floor was laid initially. These differences in construction, as well as the task of matching worn and often scarce lumber, can make repairing and restoring a pre-1850 floor quite the intimidating project, even for the best woodworker. So the most difficult part of the project is getting floorboards to match, something most people don't consider until they've ripped up the damaged boards. In fact, the quality of the match between old flooring and repair lumber occasionally decides whether a floor is all <coughs> or the large areas of damage or repaired section are replaced or all together because additions stand out. Finding wood of the same species is the first step, but other matching characteristics are just as important. So the first thing we're looking for is the cut. So a log can be cut into lumber in two ways. Flat sawing, also called plain sawing, is a style in which the simplest, most efficient method of sawing timber, but flat sawing timber has advantages and disadvantages as flooring. It does not shrink much in thickness when drying and has a pleasant pattern on the board face. But flat sawn flooring can warp and it is prone to raising splinters. The majority of flooring is cut in a manner called quarter sawing, which leaves each board with a vertical grain. In this process, the mill saws timber radially to the annual rings of the tree with some resulting waste. Quarter saw lumber shrinks and swells minimally in width and is less prone to defects like cupping, twists, checks, and raised grain. It also wears evenly and tends to resist penetration by liquids. All this makes it well adapted to the requirements of flooring. In addition, a vertical grain cut leaves the wood fibers itself less compressible than flat sawing and this gives in great strength to resist marring forces like high heels and dropping objects because it is more sophisticated it is a more sophisticated cut quarter sawn lumber is more expensive than and then widely available flat sawn lumber before buying flooring determine the cut of your old flooring and make sure that the new stock is sawn the same way grading 
Floor repairs always benefit from the best possible match in grade between old and new flooring. Criteria like the size and frequency of knots and other defects play a big part in the look of a floor. Make an educated guess about the grade of your old floor and keep this in mind when evaluating new lumber. By modern standards, quarter sawn flooring has two grades, clear and <clears throat> clear and, and, and select. Flat sawn boards have four grades, clear, select, number one, common, and number two common. The clear grade for both types has almost no surface imperfections, while select has a few, such as small, tight knots. Number one common has more defects, but must contain material that will make a sound floor without cutting. Number two common has even more imperfections, but still provides a serviceable floor. This percentage of sap, sapwood in the lumber also influences grade and floor appearance, particularly in softwoods like heartwood pine. Since standards vary widely, the best advice here is to look for as much heartwood as possible when shopping for softwood flooring. Next, we're looking for moisture content. As seasons change or the humidity within a room varies, wood products in a house absorb and release moisture. This change in moisture content makes them swell and contract along each dimension and at different rates also. In flooring, these changes are critical and affect whether it will develop big gaps in dry weather or buckle when it's damp. To make sure the repair is in sync with the moisture cycle of the room, new flooring stock must be stored there for a period before it is installed, I would say two to three months. A minimum duration um, that you can live with is probably two or maybe a month and a half, but I'd say two to three months. But the longer the better. In the same way, when stock is newly cut from a mill and has a very high moisture content, the minimum seizing the wood where the flooring dries out at the mill should be six months. Lumber to repair a pre-1850 floor will almost all cases come from some sort of sawmill, not from a retail lumber yard or hardwood supplier. Some tips will help you deal with the mill. First, bring or mail a sample of the floor you're trying to match to avoid speculation about interpretation and matching it. The sample need not be that big, but it should be an average representation of what the floor looks like. Neither the best nor the worst area. Second, deal with a mill that is used to small orders, or one that was recommended from a previous job. You are likely to get more attention here and thus better lumber than a mill that avoids such jobs or does them only as a courtesy or when they need money. Third, order enough to do the repair and then some to cover unforeseen problems. 30% over is quite the good figure. Also, think about the future if your floor is difficult to match and buy a surplus to keep on hand for the next repair. So next, let's talk about removing damaged sections. Before pulling out the damaged boards on a floor, it's good to pr practice to lightly chalk or pencil a cutting line around the area you need to remove. This kind of planing is particularly important in pre-1850 floors because 
Without a subfloor, all boards must end up on a floor joist for support. For instance, if a portion of a board can't be saved, the damaged part must be cut off at a point over a joist, so both new and old ends are being held up. Pay close attention to the staggering of the joints. Side-by-side -side boards with joints that are in line look awkward and will squeak in the same way. Floors that have a specific stagger pattern, say, every three joists, have to be repaired in the same pattern for the pleasing job. In practice, this usually means replacing whole boards rather than cutting out bad sections. It is unnecessary to remove the entire length of a floorboard. The bad section can be isolated by parting the board along the cutting line. So what you want to do is place a chisel along the cutting line with the bevel side towards the damage and <clears throat> strike a sharp blow with the hammer. It should start a nice clean cut through the wood, which will have to be repeated across the entire width of the board. Once the board has been cut, and often in the process of cutting, the waste piece you need to be <coughs> channeled. Move the chisel about an inch into the damaged section with the bevel side down and angle it at a close to 30 degrees as you can. Striking the chisel at this angle will peel off pieces from the end of the damaged section, like sharpening a pencil, and help free the board for removal. Work across the full width of the board. Board ends that are nailed can be freed by either by channeling clear of the, of the nails or driving the nails through the board into the set into the floor joist itself. After both ends of the damaged section have been channeled, it must be loose enough to remove with a little delicate prying. If not, you'll have to split the center out for removal. Make cuts with the chisel down to the face of the board so that the middle strip is split out and out of the board divided into two pieces. Prying in the chisel after hammer blows helps speed the, the splitting process. Once the center is gone, the other pieces will come off quite easily. In the same way, once the first board in a damaged area is removed, neighboring boards are much simpler to work on. So let's talk about installing the replacement boards. But before installing these replacement, replacement boards, it's important to ascertain how the existing floor was nailed down. A quick inspection can tell you whether the boards were face nailed with heads exposed or blind nailed with the heads hidden between the boards. Use the same method for repairs. Looking at the nails will also tell, help you tell which way the floor was laid. That is, which side of the room the floor was started on when it was first installed. The angle of the nails will be the key here, with the heads pointing away from the direction of the first board. Occasional hammer prints where the nail was struck too hard will also be a clue, indicating which way the carpenter faced as he worked, laying the new boards in front of him. The lay of the floor is important because the new work will have to be installed in the same direction, both for looks and integrity. If the lay is still not clear from looking at the nails, check for a fitted partial width board on the side of the room. This will be the final piece of flooring to put down in the original job. 
The last board always has to be fudged into an odd-sized or shaped place and will mean that the lay starts on the opposite wall. After you understand how the old floor went down, start the new work. Each board in a repair will probably have to be cut, trimmed, and fitted individually into the space it will occupy. Each board may also have to be planed on the top face to blend as closely as possible with the level old floor. To match the look of some 18th century floors, it helps to regrind the plane blade in a gentle arc so the repair simulates colonial woodwork or, um, you know, they, they would take the uh, more of a roughing out type plane when they, uh, when they dress down the floorboards. They did never used a smooth plane. Attention to the old spacing of the boards also helps produce a quality job. Old floors draw up over the years, and the gaps that develop between the boards will be wider than in any new floor. When repairing, when repairing, a trick is to use spacers like washers or small wooden wedges to set up the gaps between the new boards that mimic the old. Keep in mind, too, that while quarter sawn lumber has no top or bottom, Flat sawn flooring should be placed with its grain rings viewed from the end of the board pointing down. Thus, will keep the boards from cupping as they age. So, there are fine points to nailing also. First, choosing the right nails is important. If the floor is blind nailed or the look of the nail head isn't critical, um, I prefer an eight-penny casing cut nails, which are available, available from Tremont Nail Company. And, and also, um, common nails too, um, These tend, but the common nails tend to split the wood. So both types, though, are preferable to smooth wire nails for grabbing a joist and holding the floor tight. If reproduction nails are purchased to blend with a floor full of hand-wrought originals, a little more distressing to each head adds individuality for any type. Pre-drilled holes through the flooring if the wood is too hard or thick to nail that easily. Also, use the nail set when making the last couple of blows. An ugly hammer prints will be avoided and uh, it's, it doesn't bode well on the uh, restore or the conservator. When a repair job gets down to putting the last board my advice is to get it away as you can. This usually means coaxing in with a pry bar or tapping down with a hammer. In both cases, protecting the board with pieces of scrap wood. The last board is special also because it can be face nailed down even if the rest of the floor is not. To hide the nail heads, drive them deep with a set, then cover with color matched wood filler. In a repair of only two side-by-side -side boards, it is usually easiest to face nail both these boards as well. So everybody does flooring a little bit differently. Um, and I, I agree, I've seen many, many do this. But the old way is what I've described here. Also, the best time to work um, is in August when there's the least amount of moisture content around. And I must also say that um, for novices out there, um, do not put dry boards, say, across the whole width of a room or the whole width of the, the, house, the floor of the house. And uh, don't put dry boards in in the winter 
and put them in very tightly next to each other. So by the time you get to end of July or mid-August, these boards over the width of a house could swell literally two to three inches and they could blow the entire wall of the house out. So just something to look forward to. I've seen several houses with their, their walls gaping out at the bottom um, because of, of improper laying techniques. So um, anyway, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out. <laughs>